Let's open our Bibles to John 20, where Paul read for us earlier. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, um, but for some of you here or watching live stream, this could be your first um, Easter Sunday, what we like to call Resurrection Sunday, since you became a believer. And um, if that's you, I would like to tell a short story of uh, my first Easter Sunday. It would have been a sunrise service by myself. Um, If you live in California, there's a lot of churches having sunrise services. Kind of difficult in Wisconsin. (laughs) But anyway, it was, um, I had met the Lord. And of course, um, um, Easter Sunday was special. So I walked from my home all the way to Menominee Park. All you Oshkoshtonians know where that is. And um, it's a beautiful place to watch the sunrise. Right over the shoulder of Chief Oshkosh there, sitting, sitting by the um, Lake Winnebago and waiting for the sun to come up. And I thought, I wonder if it'd be any different um, than before I was saved. So I'm sitting there and... Um, the sun's starting to come up, and I remember sitting or kneeling or something like that. And as the sun began to, to rise, it brought me back to uh, our first verse here when it was still dark and the sun began to rose, to rise, that I heard singing. And I thought, So this is what it's like when you're born again and you have your first Easter. You get to hear angels sing. And I was taking this in and it was blowing my mind. And then I realized the the Baptist church was having a sunrise service behind me. (laughs) So that was my first um, experience. (laughs) Let's look at John 20 this morning. Um, we will look at the resurrection from four different vantage points. First of all, the events that took place between his death on the cross uh, three days earlier, and the scriptures tell us that he went to the heart of the earth. So that'll be the first division. The second division is the things that happened uh, in the early morning, appearing to Mary Magdalene first, and uh, we'll, there's been some confusion about that, but we'll be able to untangle that. So that would have been the morning, and then we're going to look at what took place in the afternoon of uh, that first Resurrection Sunday, where the Lord appears to Cleopas and his unnamed friend on the road to Emmaus. And then number four the events that took place in the evening when Jesus appeared to his disciples. Now, if we go back to Friday, you remember he said to the thief who believed on him, today you will be with me in paradise. And we know that Jesus didn't go and rise from the dead for at least three days taking notes, Matthew twelve forty says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that tells us right off that paradise, in this case, is not heaven, even though sometimes um, heaven is called paradise. It cannot be in this case because he said today. So when the thief, uh, in a very simple way, just said, Lord, remember me, and we talked about this on the Good Friday Day service. Uh, No baptism, no good works. He was a thief. He had nothing going for him. He didn't walk the aisle. He didn't raise his hand. He didn't do any of that. All he said from his heart, and the Lord saw his heart, he said, Lord. And um, he was saved at that point. Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And that was his sinner's prayer. And the Lord saved him right there on the spot. And um, he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. There's at least two places in the heart of the earth that we're aware of. Probably more. Um, And to untangle this and get some description, you are going to turn around a little bit, and I am going to ask you to turn around to these uh, chapters. Some I'll just quote. But let's start by looking at Luke Chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, and uh, picking it up in verse 19, it's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now one of the rules about interpreting the parables, if it's indeed a parable, it cannot have a proper name in it. This is titled a parable, but it does have the proper name of Lazarus in it. Therefore, I do not believe it's a parable. I believe it's a literal event that took place. It's the only one called a parable that has a person's name in it. So if we'll pick it up in verse 19, it says, There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment, now this is a rich man, in Hades, another name for hell or Sheol, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Father Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham, evidently they're able to communicate to each other during this time. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from here pass to us. So there was a barrier. And yet at the same time, they were able to communicate with each other. We're told that one was in comfort 
and one was in torment. And that rich man is still there to this day. Revelation 20 tells us that death and hell will be emptied and brought before the great white throne judgment and they will be judged. Now, it goes on to say, when he realizes that that can't happen, um, and he's not leaving, and that's beginning to settle in, he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. You see, I have five brothers, that he may, we would say, witness to them, lest they come to this place of torment. Now, I wonder if he ever had any concern for his brother's salvation up until this time. Up until the reality set in that he's not going anywhere. And he's going to be there. And he's conscious. So, you know, this idea of um, annihilationism and when you die it's all over and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. You're not only conscious and aware, but you're uh, able to experience torment and pain. You're conscious of others that are still alive that aren't saved. That's all being implied in the scriptures we're reading here. And so that that reality is settling in on this guy. And it's interesting what Abraham said to him. He says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. That would be another way of saying they have the word of God. That's what he's saying. And he's saying they have the scriptures. And his answer to that, he says, let them hear the scriptures. And he said, no, Father Abraham, He knew his brothers weren't reading the Bible or doing any of those things. But if one goes from the dead, they will repent. Now, the irony of this story is the guy's name is Lazarus, and there was one of Jesus' last miracles was raising Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus from the dead. And the result of that was what the point that we made on Friday was the reason for the great multitude of people is because that event had just took place. And Lazarus was alive. And uh, the people who knew about it, the crowds were divided. There were those, many of the, the religious Jews became believers in Jesus because of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Then there were others that said, we not only have to kill Jesus, but now we've got to kill Lazarus too. He is a living witness. People knew he was dead, and so he's got to go too. So the point is, they have the scriptures. If they don't believe the scriptures, they're not going to believe even though one would um, come back from the dead. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though, that one would rise from the dead. So what we have in this story and what it shows us is that when Jesus, um, before he uh, descended, um, I need you to turn to the book of Ephesians at this point, chapter four, and tie and connect some dots here. Ephesians chapter four, we'll pick it up in verse seven. It tells us to, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, and this is a, a prophecy. Again, I want to point out whenever we want to run across a pro- prophecy. This is Psalm 68, 18 being quoted. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. We have a lot going on here. It's telling us that before he ascended, he descended. And I already quoted Jonah, three days, three nights in the the belly of the, the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's saying that again here, but it gives us some detail of what he's going to go on. We know there's Abraham's bosom, paradise, and we know there's a literal hell. But here it tells us that he led captivity captive. And um, um, with that, we find that after we read from Luke, um, the rich man and Lazarus, and what's Abraham's bosom all about? Place of comfort. And um, the thief was comforted there, and the rich man was in, in torment. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, I'll quote this one because it's only four verses. What happened? Hebrews chapter 11 is all about the Old Testament uh, saints who died in faith, but they couldn't go to heaven because it tells us in Hebrews that their offering for sin was the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. And it tells us that the blood of Bulls and goats and lambs can cover sin, but it can never take it away. So, I'm quoting now Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, if you're taking notes. These all died in faith. Who died in faith? These Old Testament saints. Not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them. How were they assured of them? Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And even though they were there, they know they knew they weren't going to be there forever. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country going to heaven. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Now remember Ephesians 4 verse 8, he led captivity captive. What did Jesus do when he descended for those three days? Well, you search the scriptures carefully. Uh, There's at least two, um, uh, three, for sure, because it talks about him preaching also to those who were disobedient during the time of the flood, so that was going on. But clearly we have another event, in my opinion, of um, setting what I would say, setting the captives free, or receiving what they'd been waiting for. And this event can only take place after Jesus Christ has shed his blood on the cross, which is able to cover sin. So I believe, because of this verse, 
uh, when we read about Abraham's bosom, that it no longer exists. I believe Abraham's bosom is empty. And I think I have scripture to back it up. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, some very interesting verses. Um, 50, we'll pick it up in 51. Uh, this goes back to the final words, uh, some of the final words on the cross, where they um, offered him the sour wine and uh, so he could actually speak. And then it tells us in verse 50 that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. So that's what happened on Friday. And then it says in verse 51, and behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earthquake and the rocks were split. This is a reference to a veil. Um, Some say it was 18 inches thick. It would have went from the top of the ceiling in the Holy of Holies all the way down. It would have separated where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Holy of Holies, which only a priest, the high priest, could go into. And he could only do it once a year, and that was on Yom Kippur. It was holy. And he had to go through this elaborate ritual of making sure that he was um, ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed so that he could perform his um, um, act of repentance for the people of Israel. That's why he, they actually tied bells around uh, the bottom of his garments and a rope to his leg, just in case. <laughs> Maybe he forgot a sin that he didn't confess, and all of a sudden those bells t- stopped dig- <laughs> digging around. What did that mean? Well, bring him out because I'm not going in after him. <laughs> And that's all true. This was meant to be very, very solemn. And so what we have here, when it says the veil in the temple was rent, well, that's a place nobody could go. But now all of a sudden it's open to everybody. So now, because of that, the veil of separation between God and man has been separated. And now we're told to come how? Boldly before the throne of grace. And there's one mediator. So this is a picture. Can you imagine being a priest, not in a, uh, just doing his daily chores on the other side and see this thing come ripping down and he goes, hey, hey, this is over. <laughs> it is over for this boy. But nothing happened. But the pathway to God now is open for anyone who will accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And with that, we, it goes on to say next that not only was the veil, there was an earthquake and the rocks were split. Here's one of the strangest verses in the Bible, verse 52. And the graves, plural, were opened. And many of the saints, well, we're referring to Old Testament saints, who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of their graves and what I'm going to read next is extremely important after his resurrection 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection in other words he was the first one 
to literally die and literally come back to life with a resurrected body. So it's important that you understand that these other people that came out of the grave, that only happened after Jesus came out first. Everybody with me? Okay, so they, after his resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. My question is, who are they? And um, what were they waiting for? Hebrews chapter 10, 11, tells us that they were waiting for the promise. And Jesus goes down, and I believe one of the things he does, Ephesians chapter four, he set the captives free. They were in comfort, but they were waiting. That's just like you and I today. Um, We're waiting. And we know that the Lord promised. We know that he's gonna come again. And so we're in this mode like Abraham was. Uh, We have the Holy Spirit to comfort us and uh, help us through our tough times. But I don't wanna live here forever. This world's not my home. And it's going downhill every day. And um, I encourage you guys to, to, to take in the um, prophecy conference. Set some time off. I, I have a very strong feeling it's gonna be our last one. I, I say that sincerely. I believe it's that late. And uh, exponentially, Things are happening more and more every day. So we've actually flipped the prophecy conference around with our our leadership conference because I don't know if we're going to be here for our leadership conference. And um, with that, I just want to point out the reason I believe that uh, Abraham's bosom is emptied is because we have saints going to family members, knocking on the door, you open the door, there's your Aunt Sue who you hadn't seen since the funeral and she's alive and well. And it says this happened to many. So why the Lord allowed this to happen? Some speculation. I won't be dogmatic about it and I'll let you be a Berean and make, make up your own mind. But I see that the rich man is still there. And let me clarify that too. It doesn't mean that if you're wealthy, that you're going to hell, and if you're poor, you're going to heaven. Good place for an amen. I know many wealthy people that are very, very godly and very, very generous, and I see their financial gain as just a tool, that they're simply stewards over it, and uh, it belongs to the Lord as far as they're concerned. But that wasn't the case here. We're also told to warn them because they're more susceptible to temptation because you can pretty much get whatever you want because you have the resources to do it. So here, um, it's important that we notice that this happened after Jesus uh, was resurrected. So, these were the events that happened between the cross and Resurrection Sunday, three days later. And now that brings us to our text where Paul read John chapter 20, let's go back. We're going to make it all the way through verse 1. When you study resurrections from the four Gospels, you really need to put them all together. Otherwise, you might think there's contradictions. And if you don't put them all together, um, you can say, well, the Bible's contradicting itself here. It says one thing in John, it says another thing in Matthew, another thing in Luke. Not so. 
And I'll explain that as we go through this. So our text, uh, Revelation 20, let's just read the first verse here. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene uh, came to the tomb early. Let me just say of all the, the people that followed Jesus, Mary was the one, I think, who loved him more than anybody else. Magdal, where she comes from, is at the base of Mount Arbel, um, just north of Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee in Israel, and that's where she grew up. But she was possessed with seven demons. And one day Jesus came by, and it says he touched her seven times. And every time he touched her, she says she felt something evil depart from her. You know, the Bible says those who are forgiven much love much. I don't know what the possession was all about, but whatever it was, he set her free, and she was going to follow him the rest of her days. And she did. She was always there. And so it was Mary Magdalene of, um, came to the tomb early while, and this is important, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, which gives us another account of this event. Oh no, before you go, I want you to read verse 17 of John 20, and we'll make our way down there. He appears to Mary, and in verse 20, um, she put a bear hug on him, and she wasn't letting go. And the Lord said, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brother and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and, and to my God and your God. Clear enough? All right, now let's go to Matthew 28. God bless you. Matthew 28, um, we read here in verse one. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and another Mary came to see the tomb. So already we have something different. Mary's not alone. Mary's with another Mary. And that says what I want to point out more than that is in John's account, it says while it was still dark, here it tells us it was beginning to dawn. And I think that's significant because I believe we have two different events taking place here. And matter of fact, I can prove it because if you um, read Mark 16, verse 9, it tells us that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first. And so that clarifies it. So we have two different events going on right here. Still dark when Mary comes the first time. It's dawn here and there's another Mary. And Mark tells us in Mark 16 verse 9 that he appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene. So we got another event going on here. And if you follow it down, a lot of the same things are repeated that are very similar. But they also met Jesus But notice what it says in verse 10. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my, oh, verse nine. And they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. 
And they came and held him by his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. What did he say to Mary? Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't said it to my father. Not to these gals. They were worshiping him at his feet. Uh, Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and they will see me there. So I believe we have these two separate events um, that took place uh, in the morning. Uh, Again, uh, Mark 16 verse 9 makes it clear that he appeared to Mary Magdalene first. All right, let's go back to the Gospel of John. We got through the verse first. Now, 2 through 10, we have, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, he's writing this gospel. And that's how he always refers to himself, that disciple who Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, that would be John, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. This is the only place it's recorded in John's gospel that John can run faster than Peter. He doesn't have to tell us that. Nobody else does. And he stooped down, this will be John, looking in, saw the linen lying there, yet he didn't go into the tomb. Um, Put the tomb up on the screen, please. And we'll leave it up uh, throughout the duration of the the Bible study. I actually believe that this is the real deal. Um, Again, it's owned by, by the Brits. It was uncovered in the 40s, if I remember right. It has a huge, huge, um, as big as this room, this auditorium right here, um, wine press. And a a wine press that would actually fill up um, um, that vast quantity of, 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 of wine from the grape presses. Which means that this, whoever this guy is that owned it was wealthy. And we're told that he was laid in the tomb of a wealthy man. Um, the other things that is described is when they go in and look, there's an angel on the right and an angel on the left and so on and so forth. It meets all that criteria. And plus, it's in walking distance, I said on Friday, from here, from there, to where I believe Calvary was, was that distance. So, um, it's an it's awe-inspiring place to to be because you can see the stones in front of the door that are up about a foot. Uh, that's where the stone would have been rolled into place. And it was a huge stone. So we left off and um, John 20. We're going to leave this up for the duration of the study. Um, Then Simon Peter came and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothing lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen, clothed but folded together in place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went and also saw and believed. 
For as yet he did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't listen. The Lord was always telling them that was going to happen. The only one who listened was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was Mary. She, she was uh, um, the one uh, that was always sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And so when he would talk about him being um, scarred with the whipping, the beating, that he'd be killed and that he'd rise again, she was taking it in. And all the other guys, you can't, you can't die. You're the Messiah. Kingdom's coming. That was her, that was her mindset. And, but that's not what the Lord is saying, according to Mary. And so the disciples went again to their own homes. Now from um, 11 through 17, Mary's still there as they go home. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was lain. And then she said, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now this has created quite a bit of speculation. Could have been she had a lot of tears in her eyes. Could have been that she was just looking down. But we're going to be communicating with Cleopas a little bit where it tells us there he changed his appearance. We're going to find when he gets to the Sea of Galilee when some of the disciples see him, they doubted. And for some reason, Mary's not recognizing him right now. It doesn't tell us why. But she's assuming that the one who was speaking to her was uh, the gardener and did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. The love of this woman for her Lord She didn't recognize the face, but she sure recognized the voice. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she would know that voice anywhere. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to mean teacher. And evidently she put a bear hug on him and he got away once and he's not gonna get away again. (laughs) And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now we're gonna stop here and um, we're just finishing the morning. So these are the events that happened in the morning with Mary. Now I'm going to take you to the afternoon. And to do that, we need to turn to Luke chapter 24. 
and picking it up in verse 13, we have a couple disciples that had given up everything. They were following Jesus, but now he's dead. So they're going home. And we read, verse 13, now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. We can point it out. Uh, The original's not there, it's modern today. But when you're going out of Jerusalem seven miles, our tour guide always points it out. Matter of fact, Zev actually lived, which would have been equivalent to Emmaus before they made it a modern city. And Cleopas, uh, and they talked together of these things which which had happened. Verse 15, so it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. So again, here we're told either um, he changed his appearance or he caused their ability to see him in a different manner. But clearly he says uh, they would not have recognized him. Um, we go on to read, and I like this, uh, starts asking them questions. And he says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk? And you guys are so sad. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things that have happened these days? And Jesus playing dumb says, what things? And they said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. You notice I'm putting it in the past tense. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word and before God and all the people. How the chief priests that our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to crucify him. But we were, past tense, hoping. We had hope. He was the Messiah. We were hoping he was the one. That it was he who was going to be the, to redeem Israel. Again, looking for the kingdom. That's what they thought Jesus was going to do. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since all these things happened. Okay, the crucifixion. We'll get into the little debate between Thursday or Friday. And remember I told you on Friday, if you think it's Thursday, you're right. And if you think it's Friday, you're right. So we're not gonna get into that. (laughs) You're right either way. Yes, and then he said, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Uh, when they did not find his body, they, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, uh, but him they did not see. Now Jesus talks to them. And he said to them, oh foolish ones of slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. The part of the prophets that they were listening to is the Messiah's coming and setting up the kingdom. It doesn't get into, they don't want to hear about Isaiah 53 
and the suffering and all of that. But he says in verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then he says in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If ever there was a Bible study I would want to sit in on, this is the one. Can you imagine Jesus giving, the, you know, the, it says the volume of the book is about him. The whole book is about him. And now he says, I'm going to take you to places um, which are, uh, we'd be here till next week. So I thought I'd pick two, just so that you, you get the point of, uh, I, I know one for, pretty much one for sure. And um, so um, I would like to give you two Old Testament examples of Jesus in the Old Testament. Turn with me, first of all, to the Gospel of John chapter three. And he's witnessing to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was bothered. Nobody could do what Jesus was doing unless God was with him. But he was a Pharisee, and he wanted to go incognito, so he went at night, didn't want anybody to see him. And he came and he asked the Lord, look, nobody can do what you can do unless God's with him. And the Lord cuts to the quick. And um, he goes, he knows right where Nicodemus is at, just like he knows right where you're at. And he says, okay, there's three musts in John chapter three. Here's the first one that he says to Nicodemus. First of all, Nicodemus is rich. He's a ruler. And um, he's also troubled with Jesus and his abilities. And so the Lord, cutting to the quick, said, most assuredly I say unto you, verse three, here's the first must. You must be born again or you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Why must you be born again? Because you must be born again. <laughs> and it's a new birth. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God because they're spiritually undiscerned. When you're talking about spiritual things, you have to have the spirit of God within you. And so it's just a matter of fact statement. Nick here wanted to know, By the way, this is the first Nick at night. (laughs) Just making sure you guys are still awake. So Nicodemus, you know, what does that mean? And then Jesus begins to explain to him. He says, well, it's, it's like the wind. You can't see it, but it's there. You can look at it, you can look at a tree and you can see the branches going back and forth but you can't see the force that makes it happen. You don't see the wind, but nonetheless, the wind is there, causing the branches to go back and forth. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. No, you can't see it, but you have to have it. It's not just going to church. It's not just saying, I'm, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because I'm not a communist. That's why. And that's simply the mentality of a lot of people. I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. Well, it used to be that way anyway. Just like uh, everything, everything was closed 20 years ago from one to three. Not anymore. 
In the times they are changing for sure. But then we get down as he's witnessing to, to Nicodemus, we get to the second must. Remember, he's a scholar, he's a Pharisee, he knows the scriptures. So we read in verse 14, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is referring to an event um, that we have in the book of Numbers. And if you turn with me to Numbers chapter 21, I'll show you what he's talking about. I'll give you a moment to get there. We only have five or six verses to look at. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. So what's going on here? He's making a correlation that what Moses did with raising the serpent has something to do with Jesus also having to be lifted up. So let's pick it up, Numbers 21, verse four. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food or no water, and our soul is sick and tired of this, this loathsome bread. They're talking about the banna. So because of the complaining, it says the Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous snakes among the people and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And they came to their senses. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. So they're confessing their sin. We've spoken against the Lord, and we've spoken against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, well, I want you to make a fiery serpent. Now this would be bronze, um, and he set it on a pole. Bronze is always uh, symbolic of judgment, and serpent, of course, would be symbolic of sin, where sin entered the world through the serpent. And so what do you have? You have a bronze serpent on a pole, and bronze represents judgment, and what is it judging? The sin. That's there, it's a picture so Jesus says to Nicodemus, in the same way that Moses lifted up the fiery serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, what was accomplished there? Well, the judgment of the world was placed upon Jesus. And uh, that's why he said, it must be so. And this is interesting to me because this also divides people. It divides the entire world for that matter. Then the Lord said to him, make the pole. So Moses made the bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. In other words, the sin was taken away. Now, put yourself in this position. You've just been bitten by a deadly snake. And uh, you're told, well, 
Moses made the serpent and all you have to do is go and look at it and you'll be saved. Everything will be fine. And some of the attitude would go something like this. Are you crazy? I'm dying here. You, want, you tell me this needs to be cut out or something, but how can that possibly save me? And that there were others that were saying, look, if this is what the Lord told Moses to do, what do I got to lose? So can you see the two groups of people? Some were saved, okay? Some died. And what was the difference? Some looked and believed, and the others said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Stupid. And as a result, they died. So the second must, the third must, by the way, if you're curious, is in the last part of John 3, about John the Baptist. It says, he must increase and I, might, I must decrease. How about that for New Year's resolution? Good place for an amen. <laughs> Men's prayer yesterday, we're going around, and we're, a lot of the things that were coming up were saying, you know, the older you get with the Lord, you realize what a crud you really are. And it's true. That's why Paul said late in his life that he was the chiefest of sinners. You become much more sensitive of, uh, of your shortcomings. Uh, not so much early on, you're just glad you're forgiven. But now as you grow in the Lord, we know that we know better, and we do it anyway. And as a result, we, we um, are just that much more aware of how great it is. All right, I told you I'd give you two examples of, um, of this, a picture of God judging uh, sin or Jesus as a type in the Old Testament. So, the serpent on a pole is a type of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? All right, let me give you the other one. This is the one you've been waiting for. Turn with me to Genesis chapter eight. Some of you are saying, oh, goody, goody, goody. If you're new here this morning, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I threw a teaser out a couple of weeks ago about the ark being a type of Jesus Christ. And um, we talked about the similarities of the ark. First of all, world judgment was coming. And the Lord was told Moses to make an ark. And the ark was the only means of being saved. And so in that way it's a type because Jesus is the only way to be saved. The other thing that was interesting about the ark is it had only one door, only one way in, okay? There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And one of those seven I am statements is I am the door. So now we have another where we can connect the dots. The other one is, comes from the parable, I won't have you turn there, of the 10 virgins. Five wise, five were foolish. And uh, they were bridegrooms. What were they doing? They were waiting. For what? The wedding banquet. Five were wise and five were foolish. The five that were wise had lamps with oil in them. And uh, the fives that were foolish didn't. And I think it's a picture of, uh, of the spirit 
And again, that's why you must be born again. They were all called virgins, okay? In other words, I would say they were all called Christians. But some were born again, and some were Christian in name only. So what we find here that I find interesting is that a cry went out and says, the bridegroom is coming. And it's the ones that had their lamps trimmed, trimmed them, and they were ready. And the ones that didn't go and have any, they didn't. And they said, give us some. And they said, no, you can go get your own. And um, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and it says they entered in, and then what does it say? The door was shut. And um, I'm trying to give you some examples where Noah and the eight that were saved, they went into the ark, the ark was taken up, world judgment took place, and the ark comes back down. And if we pick it up in verse eight, I see that this is also a type of Jesus Christ. Because when the Lord comes for his church before what he says in Matthew 24 is gonna be the greatest time of judgment that the world has ever seen. That's pretty heavy compared to the flood. He said first time, water. Second time, fire. And so what happens before the great tribulation where Jesus says it's a time that has never been or will ever be, what happens? Well, First Thessalonians 5, God has not appointed us to wrath. What is the tribulation period? If you're taking notes, Revelation um, chapter 6, verse 17 says this is the wrath of the Lamb, God's wrath. And it lasts for a seven-year period of time. Remember, God owes Israel seven years from Daniel 9. So, same idea, the Lord takes the church out Judgment is done. Remember we were in Isaiah 26. Go into your chambers for a little while and wait there until the indignation is over. And then you're gonna come back with me. So the parallels are uncanny. So I do believe that Jesus Christ is a picture of the ark and the only means of salvation. But I teased you a little bit because Let's read through verse four. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were on the earth and God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually on the earth and at the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. And then verse four. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And I put out the question in the teaser, why tell us that? Why give us a date? What difference does it make that it comes to rest on the 17th day on the month of the seventh month. Well, um, to answer this question, you need to turn with me to um, the next book over, Exodus, 
chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read a little something here that I just got off the internet. Exodus 12, 2. There was a time back in the days of the Old Testament when God decreed a new year. We find the establishment of this new year in Exodus 12, 2. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Before this decree, it was customary to usher in the new year in the fall, but this first new month was a Jewish month of Nisan, a spring month corresponding to March or April. Now, in Israel, um, we find that this is very interesting because um, in Israel, they actually have two New Year's. This is most fitting. It was a new beginning. Why? Because of Passover. They've just been delivered out of the land and everything was new. So in Exodus 12, verse 2, we read, Speak to the, um, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month. Every man shall take himself a lamb according to the house and so on and so forth and celebrate the Passover. I'll go on to read here. In order to fit it into the world order of their time, the Israelites continued to celebrate the fall new year as well, which is Rosh Hashanah. The feast of the new year um, marked the onset of the civil uh, year while the first of Nisan celebrated the beginning of a new religious year. Are you catching what's going on here? God switched things around. He took what was the seventh and he made now Nisan the first. And so that's important to unravel the riddle that we have in verse four. So if we would read it with the calendar now changed by the Lord himself, where Nisan becomes the month, it would um, read, remember, this was all hindsight when Moses was given the first five books of Moses. So let's go back to Genesis 8. And I'll give you one more example why I believe that Jesus is a type of the ark. Let me read it this way. The ark rested in the first month, Nisan, because it's been changed back, on the 17th day of the month, the month of Ararat. So what we have here is this taking place. I have an article here that tells me uh, that Christians who hold to, um, this gets, opens the debate of did, was he crucified on Friday or Thursday? Uh, later, Christian tradition puts the last meal with his disciples on Thursday evening and his crucifixion on what we call Good Friday. We know that, that it is one day off. Jesus' last meal was Wednesday, for those who hold to that view, and that he was crucified on Thursday, the 14th of Hebrew, on the month of Nisan. So Passover would have been the 14th of Nisan. Here we're talking about the 10th of Nisan. And my question for you is a simple one. Was there anything of significance 
that happened three days before the 10th of Nisan, which would be the 14th of Nisan, which would be Passover. Yeah, today's would be that day, Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Well, what happened with the ark? It came to what? It came to rest. And when Jesus came out of the grave, the first resurrection, his job's over. Other people now are risen from the dead. Anybody that dies as a believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The job's over. And uh, thou wilt keep in perfect peace whose mind is stated thee. Not only did Jesus rest and eventually sit at the right hand of the Father, but because he lives, we can rest too, no matter what the circumstances. So, is it just a coincidence that they throw in the date that Noah's Ark came to rest? I don't believe it for a second. I think it's one of those little treasures. The deeper you dig, the deeper it gets. And God can communicate the gospel to kids that are in kindergarten, and he can communicate new things to some of us that have been around for quite a while, continually seeing new things. What does it do? Increases my faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. I'll leave that with that. You can be your own Berean. Um, We've just finished. uh, Let's go back to Luke 24. We got way sidetracked with Cleopas. Luke 24, and um, we stopped where Jesus gives an Old Testament Bible study about himself. And there's so many that we could give. Abraham offering Isaac up as an illustration. And there's uh, so many pictures that are there. We left off in verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all these scriptures the things concerning himself. Would have liked to have seen that one. Let's finish out the next four verses. Then they drew near. Remember, this is the afternoon, and now we're evolving into the evening. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table, notice that I want to point out in verse 29, it's now getting towards evening. So we're moving from the afternoon into the evening. Came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he's the one who says grace. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then it says their eyes were opened. I would imagine it would have been something like this. He has the bread in his hands, he breaks it, but after he gives it to them, something's exposed. And it says they knew him. And then he disappears. And, and it says he sat at the table with him, he took bread, blessed, and gave it to him. They opened their eyes and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Just like that. I'm gonna like my new body. Talk about being here, there, or anywhere, anytime. Time travel. And they said to one another, and I like this, 
Did not my heart burn? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Isn't that true? What, what satisfies the soul more than having a good Bible study? Nothing satisfies the soul like that. Seeing things you've never seen before. And you go, that's in the Bible? That's pretty heavy. And um, every prophecy, of all the prophecies that are here, every one of them has come exactly true, exactly as it said it would be. And if you can find one that hasn't, go ahead, throw it away. Just take that page and rip it right out. But you're not gonna find it. Because every, Jesus said to the jot and the tittle, the scriptures have to be fulfilled. That means the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. It must happen. In the same way on Palm, Palm Sunday, when uh, the Pharisees rebuke your followers, they actually think you're Messiah. They're quoting Psalm 118. Jesus said, sorry, can't do it. It's written. Psalm 118, somebody's gonna be worshiping me this day. And if they don't do it, then the rocks will. But it's gonna happen. My friends, our confidence and our stability of soundness and mind in these crazy last days is this book that we're reading from right here. It tells us what's going to happen before it happens and only God can do that. And so our, our priority should be um, being in the word, you know, here by yourself on your own and um, please share with your friends the things that are, that are happening from a biblical perspective, not from CNN or anything that's out there today because they're all lies as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you heard me right. I believe they're all liars and they got a whole different agenda and I better stop right there. Okay, so now from afternoon, he disappears. They, so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 who were there with them together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. All right, let's finish the study by looking back to John 20. Of We've covered what's happened in the three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. We talked about what happened in the morning with Mary. We talked about what happened in the afternoon with Cleopas and his friends. And we'll finish our study uh, this morning with the evening. So John 20, verse 19, tells us, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So they're in hiding, and they're afraid. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Well, wait a second, the door's closed. Doesn't seem to be a problem for the Lord. He just popped right in. He popped in, and he came and stood in the place and said, boo. (laughs) Just check it again, guys. 
No, but just imagine that. They're, they're already afraid, and all of a sudden, poof, there's the Lord. Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Well, whether his appearance was different, whether he had changed his appearance, whether he was withstraining them. Again, when you read the full account, when he gets to Galilee, some of them didn't believe on him. Um, it says 11 were there, but there was only seven uh, that were on, on the boat. What happened to the other guys? And it says they didn't believe on him. Now when he had said this, he showed his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here we have the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit um, and then the multitudes that gathered for Pentecost in Acts 2 would be the, um, the outpouring where 3,000 got saved. He says, if you've forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are restrained. I need to explain this. I can't forgive your sins. Um, our good friend Paul Malls, uh, he's torn, you know. He's been with us for so many years, him and Laura. And yet, uh, they've been here for over 20 years. And, um, but Lori's mom's getting up in age. Where are you guys? There you are. Hi, Lori. Can I tell a story? I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, okay, all right. Just getting your permission ahead of time. So we love him. And he said yesterday, he says, guys, the hardest thing for me leaving is going to be this man on Saturday morning. And um, when he first came here, um, he came up to the office and uh, started telling me everything wrong he ever did and that lasted a couple days and <laughs> <laughs> and when he had rambled on long enough I said are you done now and uh, he said yeah and then I said this is what I want you to do I want you just to accept the Lord I want you to show up at men's prayer and I don't want you to stop showing up at men's prayer. Nobody loves men's prayer more than Paul Mall. And both their hearts, he says, this is tough. You're my family. Now I'm telling you this because when he gives his testimony and he's talking about confessing all of his sins, he goes out and he says, that guy in there didn't forgive one of my sins. <laughs> he thought I was a priest, you know. <laughs> I was supposed to forgive him of his, of his sins, is, is the point. And in his youngness and naivety, uh, that isn't the way it works. Because we sin daily. Matter of fact, um, well, it came up during the study. Uh, one of the guys said he had sinned a couple times that day. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you did more than that. <laughs> And then one of the guys, as we're going around, actually quoted the scripture from the Proverbs that says a righteous man falls seven times in a day. What does that mean? That means on your best day, on your best day, you're gonna blow it seven times. So we need to walk 
in repentance. And hang on to that verse. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He continually lives to intercede for you and I. So as we wind this up here this morning in the evening, when it says here you have the power to forgive sins, no. The great commission is, the next page, just turn it. Um, and that's Matthew 28, I'll just quote it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the way that we can forgive a person's sin is by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have power to forgive your sins. Nobody does. Jesus Christ is the only mediator. He's the only one who can do it. But he's equipped us with the message to communicate to other people that there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And um, if their attitude is, ah, not these days, everything's relative. I'm gonna believe what I wanna believe. They have a free will. They can choose that. That's the broad way. And my Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many be that find it. But narrow is a gate and few there be that will actually enter in. Why? Because we're saying Jesus is the only door. He's the only way. So if you share the gospel with a person and they say, you know, that makes sense and I believe it. And I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know what you can tell them? God's just put your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Angels are rejoicing in heaven right now because you exercised your free will to accept the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, you're a whoever, believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But on the other hand, if they reject it, then you can tell them, hey, look, man, you're still in your sin. And you're gonna have to stand before God, and someday he's gonna open up the book. What's in the book? Well, you could have had your sins forgiven, but now they're not. Now every thought, word, and deed that you ever done is all written down. If we can do that today with our computers and uh, download how many gigabytes of material, how much more the creator of the universe knows everything about everything. And uh, you just don't want that being exposed. You want it covered. Good place for an amen? amen? So when it says you have power to Forgive people's sins. It says, no, God's giving you the Holy Spirit to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so people can receive Jesus Christ. And if they reject that, then you can say, your sins still remain, and you're, you're gonna stand before the great white throne judgment. That's what that verse means. Now, everybody's there except Thomas. Verse 24, but Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came and the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the prints of the nails and I put my finger into the point of the nails and put my hand into his side, I am not going to believe. Fast forward, in other words, I want evidence. None of this face stuff. I want proof. Verse 26, between verse 25 and 26 is 
a week going by, eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, but this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, again, poof, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And he immediately looks at Thomas. He says, Thomas, come on over here. I want you to reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hands here and put them into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Well, how did the Lord know that? Well, he was there all the time. They just couldn't see him. When Thomas came in, Jesus was still there. He heard every word. So now the next time they're all gathered together, he's there. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, now here's the verse for you and me on this Easter 2021. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I have never seen Jesus Christ. I've never seen Jesus Christ. I have friends that say they have and I believe them. I can stand before the Lord and tell you that I've heard the audible voice of the Lord. I can tell you that and tell you it's true, but I've never seen him. But this was already after salvation that these experiences took place. The writing of the book, and we'll close with this this morning, is in verse 30 and 31. The main purpose that John wrote his gospel was to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it closes with this, and we'll also look at 21, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs. John only picked out seven miracles. But now he's closing things up and he says, well, there are a lot more than seven. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But this, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you have life in his name. Turn the page to the conclusion of the book, John 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did which are not written one by one. And I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would need to be written for all the things that Jesus has ever done throughout eternity. My friends, I take that literally. That all the things that God has ever done, the world itself couldn't contain it. But he says, I'm picking these so that it'll leave you with the conclusion that Jesus is exactly who he is. And because he lives, you live. And the times in which we live in, I would leave with this exhortation. Um, Again, reading articles, the only hope we have is revival. And I'm telling people, the Bible teaches us the opposite, that there'll be a great falling away. Recent Gallup poll just two days ago came out said in the first time they've kept records and people going to church, this is the first time it's under 50%, and it's not gonna go in the other direction. So I say to you, the Bible calls you overcomers. 
he who overcomes to the end will be saved. In other words, don't think about going back. Here it is Easter. For those of you um, who aren't used to going to church, can I implore you to uh, hear the words of salvation and give your hearts to Jesus today? I have the authority to tell you your sins are forgiven if you do that. I also have the authority to tell you that if after hearing the gospel you reject it, that your sins will remain and you'll have to give an account at the great weight throne judgment. That is not gonna be unchanged. And I'm afraid there's not gonna be revival. There'll be more of a falling away. Uh, That sounds like kind of of a downer way to close up uh, Easter Sunday. So um, um, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. How's that? Amen? Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Another Resurrection Sunday. I pray for any Lord this morning that are on live stream or here visiting that may have never have accepted you or believed on you. Uh, I just pray for them this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would touch them and uh, reassure them that their sins can be forgiven. And uh, for those of us with all the craziness in the world, we're human. And we do have, even as born-again believers, days of anxiety and sometimes depression. Maybe we've just lost our job. And um, these, it's, just, it's just a bummer to be going through some of this stuff. But we're so grateful, Lord, that you laid it all out and we know what your purposes and plans are. We know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we know you can't lie. And so we stand on your word that gives us stability of uh, mind, heart, and soul. And for this, Lord Jesus, we truly are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.